You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners where you learn the business side of running a group practice. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. As usual, this podcast is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an EHR um, that you can use in your group practice that I've been using for a while. If you are using an EHR that's not working for you or you haven't yet gotten onto the EHR bandwagon, feel free to try them out for two free months by going to therapynotes.com forward slash R forward slash the group practice exchange. All right. So in this episode, I've got Amy Kotraba. Gosh, I know I just said it wrong again. <laughs> say it you did. Did I say it right? Yeah. Amy Kotraba. Kotraba. Amy. Um, Okay. So she owns Thriving Minds. Uh, It's a group practice. And we're going to be talking about how to include um, intensive therapy models in your group practice. She's got something pretty cool going on. Um, Not an IOP. Uh, I just confirmed with her. It is a group model. um, And I'll have you kind of explain it a little bit more. Um, But you do like longer term, like a week or so long. And it's more intensive in that it's not just for an hour, let's say like once a day but mm-hmm. a handful of hours and over the course of maybe a week or two weeks, right? Right. Okay, yeah. So we Tell me a little bit about your practice, how you got started on that and what it looks like. Sure. Um, so I started in private practice about a decade ago and then in about seven years ago, moved into a group practice. Now I own two locations in Michigan, close to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and we specialize in anxiety disorders. And several years ago, I started to realize that my one time a week sessions, there's just a lot of issues with running one time a week sessions with exposures. And the kids had a long warm up time. Uh, I was trying to do parent training and that was challenging to make happen quickly. Um, lots of times we were wanting to go in going to do exposures in the public, you know, we wanted to go to a store and practice ordering or, you know, out and interacting with peers. And it was just really hard to do in a 53 minute session, like insurance sets up. And so we decided to start doing these more intensive doses of therapy. And now um, we run probably every week, we have at least one kid coming in for an intensive dose of therapy. And, And it looks different. Sometimes what we're talking about is just more than one therapy session per day. So like a few hours of treatment. Sometimes kids will come in for an entire week where they'll do five to six hours of treatment over three to four days in that week. Um, I run a camp for kids during the summer that's an intensive dose. Sometimes I'll go to schools and do an intensive dose of treatment where I'll stay in their school for for the whole week and, and be with them doing exposure. So it can look really different depending on the kid. So your intensives are, they're solo, like you and a client? Yes, right. Uh, Except for the camp. Except for the camp. Okay. Um, Tell tell us a little bit about the logistics part. So obviously, my, what I do my podcast on is things related to what group practice owners um, are, are trying to figure out. And so I know one of the first things that they're thinking when they're hearing you is one, how amazing, because I know practice owners are always trying to find ways to reach more clients to be uh, accommodate like the special needs of, of clients that they have um, and I totally get with exposure response prevention that you know the typical one hour model isn't always that helpful mm-hmm. um, but I can see people like waving these like flags in the air right now as well, like, <laughs> so many like logistical things yeah um, tell us a little bit about some of the um, 
complications or things that have come up as you started this model that maybe you didn't think about or weren't aware of and had to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, that were obstacles that you had to kind of work around? Sure. Well, let me start off by telling you the positives because I think intensives are amazing. (laughs) I mean, I think that it really helps with kids returning to normal functioning more quickly. We found that it's more cost effective overall. Um, It really helps for families who have difficult, busy schedules and they don't take as much time off of work, don't take as much time off of school. And it allows you to see kind of an expert in the field because families could even travel from distances to see someone who really had a lot of experience working with a particular diagnosis. But you're right. There's a lot of potential complications or difficulties that we ran into at the beginning. Um, I mean, one of them is the scheduling of therapy sessions. Um, So when I started out doing intensives, I would usually do an intensive from, let's say, 9 to 2, Monday through Thursday. And then I would spend the next four hours maybe seeing additional therapy patients, my my typical caseload after the intensive was over. And it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. I was just going to ask about that. Like, how do you (laughs) schedule intensives if you already have a caseload because that would seem yeah. hard but if you set it up the way you had where you're mentioning it obviously that can work but then also how tiring is that right exactly so right now we so that's sort of the way that we started out and it was nice to build up that way even though it was kind of exhausting um, because we got to the point where people knew us for doing intensives and now I have a clinician who works for me who all she does is intensives and so you know, probably 48 weeks per year, she does an intensive and she doesn't see typical, you know, weekly patients anymore. She just does intensives. Um, I think it's still doable even for the person in private practice or someone who still wanted to see some patients still have a patient load because I do it. I still see a few patients, even though I'm the director of the clinic. And then I do these intensives but not as frequently. I maybe do them, you know, once every other month or something yeah. like that. And are your typical intensives one week long? They are. Yeah. Okay. They're typically so one week long. The person that you have that's just doing intensives, they are um they have essentially one client per week right. that they're working with. Yeah. And then um what happens after that intensive? Are they continuing on with one on one? And if so, are there any complications with them wanting to just continue to see that? therapist um, or do they get referred to someone else in the therapist that might have an opening or in the practice that might have an opening? Yeah, that's a good question because some people will think that this one week is curative and it's yeah. not. Right. You know, it's it's a really great start. It's not the end. Um, so this one clinician who who specializes in doing the intensives, she will continue seeing the patient on more of a consultation or as needed basis. But if the patient needs to continue weekly sessions after that, they'll get transferred to another clinician in our practice that does a more typical schedule. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so how, how does that work with, if you're a practice that takes insurance? Mm-hmm. We do take insurance. Okay. Um, so we have, we've dealt with this and it's yeah. been quite a learning curve. Um, so what we've found is that most insurances will only allow one individual session per day. And then we often, because we see kids mostly, we often bill for a parent training session. So that yeah. accounts for two of the typically five hours that we're seeing the kids. So you're doing like a 90837 uh, and a 908. 908- Four seven, correct, and yep. then adding like the modifier to the one. 
And then adding the modifier, we usually add um, a complexity code to okay. one, but then the rest of it is co considered client elective services and clients have to sign saying that they understand that it's considered client elective services and they pay out of pocket for those. Yeah. So it does end up being maybe a little bit more than half of the, of the financial pieces out of pocket. Yeah, that makes sense. We, we have a one-day intensive that we do for couples Mm -hmm. um, that gets them sort of set up through the first um, few sessions. It's six hours, one day um, for Gottman, Gottman uh, therapy. And so yeah. it's kind of like a Kickstarter to getting them into weekly sessions, but they get a bunch of weeks worth of sessions done in one day. But we do something right. similar to that where we uh, are able to bill for two um, and then the rest is out of pocket. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, do you find that clients have difficulty with... Um, understanding that uh, concept with like not being the interest and cover at all mm -hmm. um, when there's our IOPs that that have you know different sort of billing allow allowables that can kind of cover a little bit more have you ever noticed any issues on that front or no. You know, I, th I think what's been helpful for us is both that the the issues that we're seeing uh, in a more intensive model aren't typically issues that kids can get seen for through an IOP, or at least not easily. Yeah. Um, you know, so things like school school anxiety, panic disorder, selective mutism, specific phobias, OCD. Um, they don't typically meet the criteria necessary to be entered into an IOP, at least not locally to us. Um, so we're not really competing with them. And then I think that we're very clear with parents from the very beginning. We give them a quote. It's a written quote. It gives them, you know, all of the little pieces to understand exactly how the intensive is built. And really, we, you know, some parents choose not to go through with it. And we always say there are other options for treatment. This is not the only option, but this option has a lot of advantages. And, and a lot of parents go ahead and take it because of those advantages. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, a big piece is probably just the education of how that model is beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When it comes to you having started this off, um, what were some of the marketing methods that you found to be most useful to, um, you know, kind of getting clients in the door? Mm -hmm. Well, I think some of the things that helped were that we were already a specialty clinic in these anxiety disorders. So we were already known for seeing these issues. And then we had a long wait list. I'm not trying to say that the long wait list helped, but it kind of did. Yeah. Because then we were able to offer this as an option for the people on the wait list who you know, had a hard time, let's say, getting out of work early. So they could only come in for 6 o'clock on Thursdays, which you know is going to be months out potentially right. before we could see them. So we can offer this as an option to those families and talk to them about the benefit of getting in early, getting started quickly, and getting the ball rolling. Um, and then we would go. We would let other clinicians in the area know that this was an option that we provided, but letting them understand that this doesn't take the place necessarily of therapy as usual, and that it's very likely that we would be referring them back to this clinician to continue treatment after the intensive was done. Um, and then it's just a lot of education for parents. And I feel like once we started doing it and we got the ball rolling, parents started talking to each other. And there's so many Facebook groups for different diagnoses and they would talk to each other. And we get a ton of referrals now from Facebook groups of parents. That's, I was just going to say, that's such a great um, thing is to have, get those word of mouth referrals. Cause that means that, you know, you're doing something right. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
let's say you would have this talk. Um, I'm trying to get into like literally the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. Um, and you're like, I, we have uh, a long wait list. It'll be a bunch of months before we could see you say at six o'clock um, mm-hmm. after school. But we have this intensive program. Um, and let's say this kid really meets the criteria for needing something a little bit more intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still not going to have openings after that week. So what do you do in between that time? I know you mentioned that there's um, that, that therapist then has those consultative hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but then are you um, like, how do you work around the fact that you guys are still full then logistically? Right. You know, yeah, you find that maybe some parents end up becoming more flexible and, and find ways. Uh, to, <laughs> kind of, I don't know. I always feel like people yeah. are more rigid than they really like than reality is they're like right. you know, say I can only do after five on weekdays um but then you know if you if you get them in and they see the benefit and they really are connecting with the clinician or whatnot that they just end up actually being a little bit more flexible too is that Absolutely. how it's yeah okay it can be um but then I think the other thing that we do is let's say that they're interested in doing an intensive, but we know that we're looking at five weeks out before we can actually do the intensive, right? Mm -hmm. Because the scheduling is such that we're, you know, it's going to be a bit of a wait. Um, It's not that they don't do anything between now and then. We actually have a process to try to help them get started, kind of kickstarted to be very prepared for the intensive. Because I think there's a lot of preparation that has to go into a really successful week. So some of the things that we'll do is we'll go ahead and do a phone consult with the family to make sure it's a good fit and to talk to them about what to expect during the week of the intensive. We'll give them book and website recommendations so the parents are reading about what they're going to be learning about that week during the intensive. We will oftentimes... um, talk to the family about consideration of starting medication before the intensive week. You know, if the family is really against it, it's not something that we push, but I'm just thinking biggest bang for my buck. You know, and if that kid goes into the week on a low dose of medication, oftentimes what we've seen is the the progress just goes so much faster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, five weeks out gives us a little bit of time to get that process started. Um, we're working with the family between now and the week of the intensive to set up a really strong reward system. Um, and I talk to parents about like, this is like Christmas in terms of the reward system. What does your child want that they have not gotten and they've been desiring for so long? Is it an Xbox? Is it a guinea pig? You know, that's what we're working towards this week. So we're talking about setting up that reward system to be successful. Um, So there's a lot of prep that goes into the week and parents are doing a lot of their prep too. So I feel like they feel like, okay, we're we're moving in the right direction. We're, you know, we're starting towards that goal. That makes sense. Now what happens, um, what's kind of the follow-up process after intensive therapy is done, that week is done? So in our clinic, um, no matter what the diagnosis is, at the end of the intensive week, we provide them with a pretty lengthy, I guess you could call it a report, but it's really a, you know, a treatment guide um, where we talk about all the things that we worked on during the week, and then we give recommendations for next steps. And then the family is sent home with that, as well as a video, a training video for the school's because when these kids have anxiety, you know, the schools really need to be engaged in the, whatever intervention is happening. 
And then we'll usually offer to um, also do a training, whether it's, you know, via webinar or in person with the school and consult with the school as well. And then if the kid doesn't um, come to us for treatment after the intensive, we'll usually recommend treatment in their local area. So they can at least, if they need to continue weekly treatment as usual, they can have a, a referral source already available. That makes sense. Um, is there a difference between how um, running a individual intensive with one person versus like a camp is? I know you, uh, you mentioned like the group intensives or the camp that you do. Yeah. I mean, there, yes, there's pros and cons of the camp versus the individual intensive. I feel like the individual intensive is fantastic for the kid who really needs one-on-one, you know, focused, individualized, flexible intervention um, because it's just me and that child and their parents working together. And I can flex to depending on what the kid needs in that moment. But on the other hand, I can't usually work a bunch with peers and have a ton of practice opportunities already set up um, and have the support of a, you know, a group that understands what the child is going through. So the nice thing about camp is that the kid gets to experience other kids experiencing anxiety as well, wow. which I think is super beneficial. They get to have a lot of peer practice. you know. So for kids with social anxiety or school anxiety or selective mutism, it's really necessary to get that peer practice piece. And what I found really interesting is arguably, I think one of the most successful pieces about the camp that I run is actually not with the kids. I think that it's fantastic. It's actually, I do an hour and a half of parent training every day during camp and the parents get to meet together and stay after the parent training and they support each other. And that's been incredibly helpful for parents, I feel like. that's Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because I think one of the um, missing links a lot of times with, especially when it comes to kids, is um, parents feeling like they have that parent peer support. Yeah. You know, that I totally get what you're going through. Um, a lot of times, especially with things like what you're mentioning, is parents feel like they're kind of at it alone. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of parents, because selective mutism is so rare and social anxiety tends to be so hidden, Mm -hmm. I feel like parents don't oftentimes know another parent that's struggling with this same thing. So it's so great for them to get to meet each other and sit down and talk. Um, Now, kind of going into the the business end of it, um, is there a difference between how your... um, well, one, I guess billing, is it the, the same cost as your individual sessions, but just times, like, let's say for the individual intensive, if you charge 150 an hour for a, a single session, is it 150 then times, you know, four hours or five hours if that's what you're doing? Yep. Um, that's exactly yeah? what I do. Okay. And then yep. in terms of compensation for staff, it does that vary on a kind of a business end for you of how staff is compensated. I don't know how, what your model is, if you're commission-based or flat rate or, or whatnot, but does, it diff, does that vary for your clinicians who do one-on-one therapy versus the ones who do these intensive models? I'm just thinking like, is there more notes time, uh, writing the report I hear you mentioning? Are there like other things you have to consider in that um, compensation piece? <laughs> No, um, our our employees have gotten really good about sort of writing the report as they go, almost 
just like progress notes would be. And we have a template of the report. So it really doesn't take too much longer administratively to figure those things out. Okay. Um, so the employees get paid, they get paid a percentage okay. and they get paid the same percentage, whether it was therapy as usual or an intensive Perfect. model. Which is what, what we I, see a lot with um, people who run just groups is uh, yeah. a lot of cl- uh, group owners asking, do you pay a different amount? And for us with our clinicians, we don't, they get the same percentage, whether they're running a group versus doing individual sessions. So right. that makes sense that even with intensives, that would be kind of simplifying things, keep it all the same. It's so much easier that way. I will say that one of the things that um, our clinicians have said, despite the, in, in addition to the fact that they just really like doing the intensives because they're fun and engaging and you, know, you really get to commit fully to a therapy patient for a whole week. The other thing that they really like is that the intensive model, if they don't see other patients, allows them to go home early. You know, they'll work like nine to two and then do notes for an hour and go home by three and, and have seen their full patient load basically for a day. So it makes it a fantastic schedule. And you, it's a lot less you know, seeing, you know, five or six clients in a row can, can be tiring for some people, but doing one intensive for five or six hours with the same person probably feels less, like less work than seeing five different people. You know, I think it really does. Yeah. Cause you have to switch focus every hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas with these kids, yeah, you, you get them warmed up and then you just kind of keep going and you're taking breaks and doing fun activities. And, you know, on a normal day for an intensive of a kid that we see with, let's say social anxiety, we might go out and go bowling so that they can order their shoe size and order a soda. And then we might go and get ice cream and then go play at the playground so they can interact with other peers. So it's actually a pretty fun day of therapy, I would argue. Is there anything um, on a business management standpoint that um, you have to consider, whether it's like liability insurance? I know you mentioned going outside of the office. Are there any things that you have to, that you would, they have to consider that you normally wouldn't for one-on-one in office therapy? I think um, it's really important to get assent from all the stakeholders. That's something that's slightly different, you know, in, in order for this to be successful and if everybody that's involved needs to be consenting. So the parent, the kid especially, needs to understand what they're assenting to. If school is involved at all, they need to be on board with it for it to be successful. Um, I oh, yeah. Think, let me stop you with that. If yeah. you're not in school for a whole week, are you... Um, connecting with the school to like help the kids stay on top of their, I know like with IOPs and PHPs, they get like their homework and they obviously have, they're there longer with a PHP um, in a day. So they're helping them, you know, they have an hour or two where they're helping them with their homework, but are you uh, communicating with a school or is your clinician who's doing this communicating with the school to have the school kind of maybe ease up on the homework that week or what does that look like? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we write a letter to the school. So the school knows exactly what's going on. And we ask them, obviously, to excuse the child from classes. But also, yeah, please don't overload them with homework because they're going to be working really hard this week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. So do you find that schools tend to be, um, you know, uh, open to this? Have you had yeah. schools that are like, no, no. No, no, I think I think that's very rare. I think most yeah. schools are really relieved that hopefully because a lot of these problems that we're dealing with with the kids are problems that are bleeding into the school as well. And so the school's really hoping that the child gets relief out of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. They're usually really open to it. That's awesome. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice, something that you wish you would have known in the beginning when starting this or something that you would want to pass on to the 
to the group owners listening who are contemplating this kind of idea. Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot now, so <laughs> taking my time finishing this question up so you can think it through. Um, what would you, what piece of advice would you give? I think, I think first of all, I would say um, doing intensives is the most fun, engaging, worthwhile therapeutic activity. I think that I do. So I would encourage everyone to do it. I think that the one piece of advice that I would give that if I look back, I think I could have done better at the beginning is managing expectations of the patient. Um, I think that, you know, given the fact that this is an intensive dose and so people are taking off work, they're taking off school, they're paying, you know, more upfront at least, even though it's probably cost effective in the end. Um, I think that they come into this sort of guns blazing, like we're going to, we're going to cure this. It's going to be done in a week. And so managing patient expectations and parent expectations, I feel like I could have done a better job at the beginning. And I try really hard to do now so that everyone goes away knowing what to expect and how the week's going to go. And then I think it really eases everyone's mind at that point. I, I totally get that, especially in the beginning. I feel like we all do this is we are really excited about this, the, the new thing we're doing, whether it's starting the group practice or hiring a new person, um, that we sometimes forget about, um, you know, managing the expectations or as, assuming that people aren't, you know, expecting the world out of something. When <laughs> obviously, everyone assu- will assume this. Um, right. So that's, that's a, a good thing to think about is, and do, I'm assuming you probably have some extra paperwork that kind of outlines like what to expect. We have a ton of paperwork that outline. We we give like a packet of information with everything from what to expect to hotels and activities in the area if they're traveling in to we have social stories for kids uh, what to expect during the week and videos for teenagers about what to expect during the week. So we try to really do as much education up front as we can so that they can sort of hit the ground running that first day. That makes sense. That's awesome. It sounds like you have something really really cool set up. We love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving uh, our, our listeners a, a dose of something new. I'm sure I'm going to be getting a lot. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to be getting a lot of questions after this one. This one comes out uh, about how to implement this and how exciting that is. So I, I know this. This is. Um, it's always exciting to learn uh, a new sort of model that someone is doing in a group practice. I, for me, yes. as just someone who does consulting and talks to a lot of group practice owners. I'm always so excited when I um, get to hear something new and different and, and not kind of the, the same old, same old one-on-one therapy stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. I had a fun time learning and, and getting to know your practice and how you got to where you are. And I think this is really an amazing offering that you guys have. So thanks for coming thanks. on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next time.